right, hello everyone. Welcome to our GM seminar on crafting villains. Uh, I'm Katie, I'm gonna be moderating and we will get started. If you've never joined us for a GM seminar, we've got two text channels that you can use. If you have a question, then you can post it in the GM questions chat. Uh, Steven, I am not late, your watch is fast. Uh, and if you just want to chatter about what people are saying or have off-topic conversations, you can do that in the seminar chat. So I think that we will go ahead and get started. There's, um, oh, so, oh, I should thank our panelists for being here today. We have Jeff and Mark and Michelle joining us. And there's actually a question that Gavin asked, uh, which was similar to the one that I wanted to ask to get started. So we'll just start with that one. And that is, what fictional or real-life villains have you used as inspiration for villains in your games? Uh, so, Jeff, why don't we start with you? Yeah, this was actually an interesting one when I read it. Because, like, in terms of plot and story, I actually don't. What I, what I tend to use, like, fictional villains I've heard is like visual styling. So like a lot of my fantasy villains in darker series are like ripped straight out of like Dark Souls or Bloodborne, but then I give them different motivations. Um, I think the one time I've actually kind of like directly covered the villain was I did a campaign North Mass, which was like a teenage superheroes. Uh, and I, I basically ripped off the, the like Brotherhood of Mutants from like X-Men Evolution, which was a cartoon back in like the 90s. Um, and that was pretty fun because uh, they had like a competing superhero team. But yeah, for the most part, like I'll rip off like visual designs, but usually with motivations, I, I like I don't really kind of steal that often from existing ones. Michelle, fictional or real life villain that has made its way into your game? I usually don't, largely because I think that it ties you too closely to a specific plot line. However, I did it actually once, largely because it actually fit the. Um, the setting and I thought it was fun but this will be something that pretty close to I don't think if anybody actually recognizes this I'll give them a prize but I actually used a character named Mock from a movie called Rock and Rule which is like one of my favorite really weird 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 movie to animate it but Mock basically is a, a rocker who is this is a, this was in Champions Mock's rocker basically uses illusions as a kind of a big stage show kind of he uses all sorts of technical illusions but here's the thing i had a fairly big party of very powerful uh superheroes and they were just about to defeat the the minions and all that and then this black glowing black helicopter lands and this guy walks down the stairs where his eyes are literally on fire and wherever he steps the metal is melting and there's just fire everywhere and you see power oozing from his hands and the, the entire group actually surrendered because they figured they got to figure out his source of power before they take him on. And he actually got to, all of it was complete BS. It was just complete illusion. But he was a fun character to play as a, as a villain. And I, I think that's probably the only time I've ever drawn inspiration from uh, real life, largely because it's a little bit like, I don't know if everybody's ever played um, the game that's based on Elric, you know, Stormbringer. I'm not sure if anybody knows, but the problem with that is that the character is so specific to the story that unless you're following that story, it's extremely difficult to extract him from it. So we're actually going to come back to that uh, 
theme of how we weave villains into our story. So hang on to that idea. We're going to come back to that. Uh, but Mark, what about you? Have you ever used a fictional or real life villain in what, uh, as an inspiration for a villain in one of your games? Well, I should say maybe the person wasn't a villain in real life, but you use them as a villain in your game. It's just a historical. <laughs> I I do use uh, I do like to get inspired by other other stories, and so that could be movies, shows, stories, people in history. Um, and then when I when I start putting together collateral for them to use, so I have to play this person, and I will often go look for uh, pictures to use. I I like to, for example, for for the most important NPCs. I like to pick uh, like a voice model of what that person's voice is going to look like or, or sound like. Um, and those are all things that are part of my big creative stir the pot of, okay, what makes this actual villain? Because I, I like the material to feel original. And I, because I, I, I've been in games before where, where, some players would say, oh, I recognize that. That's from such and such a book or such and such a game or whatever. And for whatever reason, I always found that really annoying. So I always put a lot of effort into making things fairly original um, so that if somebody thought they knew what it was, it would probably be a good way to get themselves in trouble. For example, one of the, uh, one of the bad guys I played in the, in the latest campaign, I, I used as a voice model Gene Ackman because he plays a lot of awesome villains and and his mannerism just from there i got to okay he's not staid and stoic and solemn he's got he's got a you know a short temper and a foul mouth and a, a couple of things that just kind of led me down the road to okay this is what this is what he's like as a personality once you can sketch out a personality it makes it so much easier to decide how an npc is going to react and if you've ever felt while well, you're dming uh, overwhelmed by the number of PCs you have to NPCs you have to play, the easier you can make it to figure out how to play them, the better. So the main message I'm getting from you all is that you use real life or historical or fictional villains as um, like you take things from them that you think will help you create a really robust and rich and interesting villain, but that the character you know is a full person on their own terms and not too closely related to anybody. So now let's get into how you introduce uh, your villain into the story and their relation to the story. Uh, if you're following the questions in the chat, I'm going to jump around a bit based on the thumbs up votes. So don't be alarmed. I'll get to as many of the questions as I can. This next question I want to ask is how you craft your villains in relation to your characters. Do you tie them directly to the characters in your party? Aside from obvious backstory links, how do you weave a tale over that binds them all together? Why don't we start with you, Mark? Um, yes, I, I do tie them together because it makes the story engaging. And how do I do that? It's, it's always different. You don't want every, every PC in the party to have a grudge against a villain that know goes back generations or something is to me it sounds kind of uh tropish so i like to find new and interesting ways for that to happen and sometimes there's opportunities for it to happen in game 
that I've never planned for. So due to, uh, maybe I'll admit, uh, slight errors of judgment on my part, early on in the campaign, was it three out of eight characters got killed? So, uh, oh my. I, I allowed for, well, it was, it was part of it. Darkness will appreciate this. This, this is, was part of, it's a big bad world out there and sometimes bad shit happens to you. Um, so it did. Um, two of them managed to came back, come back, but as a result now, the party has a deep seated resentment for the guy who did this to them. And they also have an appreciation for for just what makes him not just, you know, a bad guy they ran into his street, but a villain to be feared because one of them had been killed with power or kill. And when you're, I don't know, a fourth or fifth level character, that's pretty fearsome. So yeah. there there are examples there why how how it can also just come out of the way the story went that you that you'd never uh, planned for. What about you, Jeff? Do you have um any strategies about how you craft your villains to tie into your characters or your party's story? Yeah, so so I will like do backstory links if I can, um, but I think backstory links are kind of like a weak way to kind of keep party motivated. And there's a kind of a bunch of questions around like the same kind of thread of like basically how do you keep your party caring like, like about your villain or like investor, which I think is similar to this. And I think for the most part, just like make sure your villain's goal is directly opposite to what your players want, because it'll like kind of force them to butt heads anyway. So like even if your players are like totally off the rails and they're like all they want to do is like buy a plot of land and build a house, make your villain like make their goal be like they want to burn that plot of land to the ground and like or like build their own house there, because there's basically there's no way your players can avoid them and they will keep coming up time and time again because their their goal is exactly opposite to what the party wants. Um, and it's usually like the best way to get characters in your party to care is to make sure that they can't get the thing they want unless they go through the villain to do so. Um, and like, yeah, generally like revenge is a way better motivator than, or like revenge from something you've done recently or like, or like an active thing they've done against the party since you started playing is way better than like revenge for something that was in your backstory. Uh, yeah, you can see how you and Mark's answers can come together too, right? That you're responsive to the players, you're listening to them, and then you're, you know, crafting your villain uh, in a way that's responding to the story the players are already telling. What about you, Michelle? How do you weave uh, villains into your characters' uh, backstories or their motivations? So I'm actually going to... I kind of thought at this at some point I'm going to do this rant, so I might as well do it now. Okay. But the one thing I really despise, or dislike, I should say, um, playing a role-playing game is not like writing a story. And it shouldn't be treated in the same way, and I think that's, that makes it incredibly weak. The thing is, it's, like a, it's almost like a video game. You know, you've got the dungeon, and then you've got the dungeon boss at the end. And you know you got to fight all the uh, all the mobs until you get to the boss, and then you fight him. And it it has almost no real reason. The problem is that I think D and D is probably the worst offender, but there's lots of different games as well. But is they set up the villain ahead of time, and it's he ends up being like the the the, the arch villain in the back, and it really it, it's 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 incredibly cliche and. It leads to a lot of these problems, and I think I've been reading on the uh, the questions there. What if the uh, uh, the players decide to ignore it or go elsewhere or 
you know, then you got to do all sorts of maneuvering to try to get him into conflict some more with the villain. The way I prefer my villains, first of all, I never like the term villain in the same sense because no one really is a villain in their own mind. I can't think of any being even in history that was so bad that they actually saw themselves as evil. Now, of course, in D&D, you have like, sometimes you got like literally evil gods, but that's another matter altogether. Um, that's more mystical. But in actual reality, no one really believes they're a villain. The best villains and my favorite villains are typically player generated. I mean, it could just be someone that you cheated or someone who's on the other side, or it could just be politics, or it could just be, you know, an, a general enemy that you defeated and comes back. Um, it could be a whole bunch of things. So when you say player generated, and I'll ask all of you to weigh in on this, just as a follow up, do you mean that you might have various NPCs and based on how the characters are interacting with those NPCs, one of those NPCs is going to quote unquote become the villain or become like one of the driving antagonists that's moving the story forward? Well, I'll give you an example. I Usually what I do is I create a world. And I don't really create a plot. I create a whole bunch of different things that are going on. So, for example, maybe there's a war going on, or there's a um, you know a plot going on. But they're basically going on around the world. And sometimes the players get involved with it. Sometimes they don't. So I, I don't set up an overarching villain for the whole set piece because that's very very artificial. The best ones to me are when I say player generated. I mean that something that the players are doing or have done have brought them into. And I really like the um, the previous example where they fought someone and uh, he killed two of them. And now they're like, oh, we're totally going to get this guy. Um, those are great. There's a lot of times where they're just going to be natural enmity, but that's, that's fine too. One of my favorites was um, an early, we, we had a group, uh, we had a group of players and they fought someone. This was when they're fairly early, and they did uh, this trick with that I actually managed to send a person to a random plane. That makes a great villain because he's still alive and he is pissed. And by the time he gets out of these, you know, the plane that he's in, he's going to be much higher level than he was, and he's coming back for vengeance. And that part is literally player generated. It's just they created their own enemy. Um, Jeff, a lot of times, those are the most fun. Jeff, do you have anything to add on this idea of a player-generated villain? Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I think as like over time, I've gotten way more loosey and kind of like ad hoc with the way I gem. And oftentimes, I will just kind of invent like invent antagonistic PCs where necessary because players are just unpredictable and will often not do what you want them to do. So I often don't create like overarching villains. Or if I do, it's kind of like. Maybe they'll get to them, maybe they won't. But I do like to create like random antagonistic NPCs all the time. And if players don't fully deal with them, like they run away uh, or they have a reason to hold a grudge, I will do my best to try and bring them back because it's just fun. Uh, it's just, it's really fun where like players in a situation and it gets complicated because someone they pissed off uh, like a while ago shows up. Uh, I think Brandon had an example of this of like the barkeep uh, that you pissed off a while ago like shows the roots today. Exactly that. Yeah, it's super fun. What about you, Mark? Do you have anything to add? about uh, players being the ones that generate the villains? Um, yeah, I think what 
what Michelle is describing, I've always taken for granted that a, a well-run world has cause and effect. And if you treat somebody and they're someone with some kind of means, or at least have something you want from them sometime in the future, you've created consequences for yourself. And that always makes, uh, that always makes things more interesting. Um, I would, I would, I don't know, it might be terminology. Sometimes when I, when I hear Michelle describe things, I think, well, that's one way of describing it, but it ends up being somehow uh, deep down related to the way I already do things, even though I wouldn't describe it the same way. That's, that's one of them, but I, I would also not typically uh, subscribe to saying, well, there shouldn't be an overarching story. And, and just in a nutshell, the reason I say that is because there's an audience for a game. It's everybody who sits down at the table. What does the audience put their bum in the seat for? They come to be entertained. What entertains them, that's different for every group, both as individuals and as a group. So you got to get a sense for what entertains the table. And then when they get up and walk away, did they get what they came for? Um, the way I usually accomplish that, and I've found really uh, consistent success with it, is for them to come away feeling like they've experienced a story. It didn't necessarily need to be the story I thought was going to happen or the story that I set up pieces of, but I allowed for variability and unexpected things. But they came away entertained. And we usually, as humans, are entertained by a story. Even a joke is something you can characterize as a, as a story with an unusual or humorous twist at the end. This is what keeps us entertained, and this is why we look for entertainment. And that's how I try to structure my campaigns. I, give, I set out threads of story that, that can connect in not just one way. I do not appreciate being railroaded as a player, and I don't think a lot of people do. Um, but I think when I feel like I've had a hand in writing this story, especially that the GM didn't expect, I get a great deal of satisfaction out of that in my experiences, so do my players. Yeah, amazing. So in a few in a little bit, we're going to dive into uh, the psychology of your villains, or I feel like we're almost... I feel like your responses are uh, making me think we should rename this seminar uh, to be about antagonists and not like the villain. But yeah, uh, anyway, so we're going to adversary is a good point. Yeah. We're going to get into the psychology in a bit, but I want to stay with the world for a second. Do you prefer running secret villains or villains that operate out in the open in your game world? And could you give some of your reasons for your preferences? Um, this time, let's see. I, have we started with Jeff in a while? Let's start with Jeff. Cool. Yeah, this is actually super timely and interesting topic for me. Um, normally, I really like to doing villains out in the open if I'm doing like typical like D and D fantasy games because I find it's way more fun if the players know exactly like who the villains are and like what they're capable of because uh, it kind of like lingers in the back of their mind of like, like holy crap like this is a person who's opposing us and like we know exactly what they can do so they factor it into all the decision making. But recently, I started running a horror game um, in Delta Green, and I realized in horror, you really, really have to keep your villain secret because uh, it's the only way to kind of keep up that like paranoia and like tension of like who the hell is actually opposing us, like who's doing this to us. Uh, so it depends on the genre of game you're doing. If you're doing kind of like a, a nice high fantasy romp uh, where your players just like want to kill things and go on adventures, I think you should make your villains like out in the open uh, and like 
definitely show them what it is. If you want like a thriller style game where there's lots of intrigue and like paranoia, um, then having like villains are completely off in the shadows and players never really know who's after them is super fun. Uh, and like pretty much the only way you can kind of keep that tension up. So it depends. So thinking about the genre of the game and what kind of experience you're crafting for the players directs you uh, in that answer. What exactly, about yeah. what about you, Mark? Do you prefer um, secret villains or villains that are operating out in the open? Both. The, be- the best way I can answer that. I mean, granted, we, we all have our different tastes in what kind of games we're playing. Could be short, could be long, could be different genres. Uh, so I tend to play long-running fantasy campaigns. So in the one that module that we've done, which has just come to a close, the big bad guy was largely secret at the beginning, but the value in having him secret and have been able to do all that stuff um, and you know watch the, camp, the, the party in the background was a value there was value I could unpack from that later as they got to know about him, but clearly didn't know everything about him. I mean, they, they still have never figured out that this guy has been sitting in uh, bars here and there around the world occasionally watching them as they come in and keeping an eye on them once in a while. This, this is the part of, of that particular villain that I would have run uh, secretly, but it was part of my internal consistency of making sure how he knew what he knew and why he would do certain things. And it also gave me the boundary for, well, he can't, he's not going to go doing something about this because he just never know, never knew that it happened, that kind of stuff. And, and I also think the the points well taken from horror is that you can create uh, mystery and significance by keeping some stuff hidden. Um, but, but in a story sense, things that are hidden are, the value in having them hidden is usually in the reveal later. What about you, Michelle? Do you run secret villains, out in the open villains, a little bit of both? So I think I'm going to repeat a little bit of what was said. Um, I think there's going to be a, quite a bit of that. Um, a lot of times it depends on the scenario. A lot of times it depends on the game. I run a lot of Call of Cthulhu where knowing who the actual villain is is sometimes an actually bad thing. <laughs> Sometimes you're better not knowing, um, especially in that genre. Um, I'm actually, depending on the circumstance, I'm actually very fond of the secret villain or the villain that you don't know much about. Um, and again, I don't really think of, I don't always think of them as villains. It really depends on the circumstance. Sometimes they're simply misunderstood. If if nobody minds to give a very quick example I, um, of what I'm, what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I, ran, I ran a game of champions. This is quite a while ago, but I had a great group of players. Um, more mature game, I'd imagine. But um, we had one of the players who got out of a difficult situation by seducing what was essentially an evil deity. Keep in mind, this is champions, so we're fairly high powered. What she didn't realize is I decided that she there would be consequences to this. And over the last, the next three months, weird things started happening. She started feeling ill occasionally, um, you know, um, that sort of thing. And at one point, uh, she, they're fighting a very powerful vampire, and that vampire is about to kill her, like literally seconds from actually 
killing her. She passes out, and when they all come to, there's bits of the vampire everywhere in the room. And that at that moment, she realized, she went, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Oh, yes, that sounds very effective. But here's the thing. <laughs> at that point, it was literally, literally the fetus was the villain. Because it yeah. was... It was literally the child of an evil deity. We're doing a little bit of a, of a sort of a demon, uh, <laughs> you know. Um... <laughs> no, you just, I, I just knocked speechless by, uh, by that image. So that, it, that was. But, <laughs> but, but what was cool, what, the part that was yeah. cool to me was that one, they didn't realize what was going on. And when they realized it, that's where the, the real crux of the, it's not really, is it, is it a villain? Because it really, it just wants to survive. But we know for but a it, fact, yeah. we know for a fact it is the, 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 the child of a, literally of, a, of an evil god. When it comes out, it's not likely going to be a good thing. We're doing the omen. Well, it, speaks, it speaks to that idea of both being responsive to players and, and having your antagonists just have opposite sorts of interests. So in this case, like, the fetus might not have, like, a, I mean, it has an interest in living, right, as you just said. Yeah. And so it's not like countering something the party wants to do, but um, is threatening the life of a party member yeah, uh, it's, in it's, being who it is, which is uh, really interesting. Yeah, I, that, those are a lot of times I find that if you ever watch, like, a movie where they have, like, a horror movie, I find a lot of times when they reveal the, the bad guy, to be almost a, a disappointment. They're going, oh, well, okay, once it steps out into light, they're going, okay, it's a big bug. Let's shoot it. Um, or something like that. Whereas until you know there's a real fear to, to, the, to the villain. Now, again, like I said, it will depend on the genre. It will depend on, uh, like, for example, D&D doesn't lend itself as well to that. But it really depends on what your story is, because I like to have a realistic story. But I am very fond of the secret, you know, villain that all of a sudden just you real you realize, oh my god, it's a villain. Well, or an antagonist. Do you do any of your villains ever have this is a follow-up question that came in on the chat. Have you ever run a villain or an antagonist who has had a secret identity? And the example was something like uh, the antagonism between Spider-Man and Green Goblin, and then turns out you know, they know each other apart from those identities. I've done it on some games, yes. Like I said, some games lend itself much better to that than, than others. Uh, Call of Cthulhu lends itself to that really well. A lot of times the villains are just people. They just happen to have a different belief system. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Like, I've, had, I've had cases where villains had, like, secret intentions and were, like, villainous, like, unknown to the players. And at some point there was a betrayal. Um, but like, actually, surprisingly, despite running superhero games, I actually haven't done one that's like a villain who had a separate secret identity uh, that the players knew. Um, so that actually sounds fun, though. I should do that. What about you, Mark? Yeah, uh, I, I think I already mentioned my example. So the the big baddie also pretended to be a historian who drank in local taverns, right? And so he was just another one of the people sitting at these tables that, that he didn't really know. And yet there he was, you know, 20 feet away, probably able to hear most of what was going on. And there they were blabbing about all kinds of things they probably shouldn't be blabbing about in public. 
One more question before we move on to yeah. villain psychology. One second. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to add something that I just, I want to add this real quick. One of my favorite types of villains, and this of course requires that you have a somewhat mature gaming group, like people that won't, you know, freak out. But a lot of times when the villain is one of the players. Yeah. That's yeah. so much fun. Again, you got to have a group that's actually able to respond well to it rather than just everyone be all upset. But one that was like the villain was one of the players all this time. That's really fun. Yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate your disclaimer for that because I think we've all seen different groups that blow up at different times when somebody <laughs> steals somebody's stuff or somebody kills somebody or whatever. So you really have to have the right audience for that to work, and it's a very delicate balance. That, that can go south really fast. Yeah. Do you ever um, – Mark, we can start with you this time. Do you ever use red herring bad guys? So um, um, people that – the PCs really think they're villains, but you hadn't really intended that them that way, or, or does that just is that where you start shifting your story to make them the villain? Well, I I do like nuance, um, and I get the impression a couple of us here do. So you know, instead of villain, adversary, protagonist, whatever, sometimes is somebody your your adversary comes down to how you treated her them or how you accidentally ran into them or whatever. Uh, we have had so having having complex characters means that at any point in a campaign, the same NPC could be, you know, their opponent in one part of the adventure, uh, a bystander in another, and an ally in another. And I've had exactly that happen with a, a duelist woman who, because of their first run-in, their goals were in conflict, which made her an adversary. That's part of how you know that happens um and then later in the adventure they hired a boat they all got on the boat the boat was underway and then they find out up up from under decks comes the captain and the first mate and she's the first mate of the boat that they're going to travel on for the next two months <laughs> oh that makes things interesting uh so in that sense I, I mean i wouldn't exactly use the example that i have somebody who's like a red herring but I do like to have complexity around what are characters? Are they just a villain? Are they just a good guy? No, everybody's got their goals. And what was her goal? Well, she's got a brother who's got a problem and she's trying to find a cure for it. And in the past, she's been allying herself with other adversaries of the group. And later on, it's to her benefit for that goal to work with them. Right. They don't know all the complexities, but it makes the world real and interesting. Jeff or Michelle, do you have anything to add to what Mark said? Yeah, I'd say like, uh, as, as reading your question, it was like villains that are, uh, they think they're the villains that are within a broader plotline or what we're supposed to be good. Uh, I think, yes, I think it's, I think it's always kind of super fun and it's kind of a, always a good trope where you like beat a villain and then it's like, oh, but there was something bigger going on. Uh, and I think we'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it when we get into like villain psychology, but I think it's really fun where you have one of the villains uh, be like kind of complex and have realistic motivations and the other one is just like a pure evil thing and just watch them bounce off each other. Um, and, and like, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's always a pretty fun trope for me to have like PCs beat someone and then be like, oh, they actually, this is just like the start of something bigger. 
Um, and then, especially if you keep that villain around, because uh, you can really play them and like the bigger bad off of each other in fun ways. Okay, so even if you do have a big bad, uh, having that flexibility in uh, people that your players really attach to as an adversary might be really useful for the story. Or I shouldn't say useful, like fun and interesting and plot progressing. Michelle, do you have anything to add about the um, whether you use red herrings uh, villains before we move on to villain psychology? I think I do it fairly often. Um, I, again, I think in, in concert with everyone else, I tend to use uh, characters that aren't specifically villains in the same sense that you would say, or oh, they're just evil. They usually have their own set of goals. Um, we discussed this earlier, like, where do we get inspiration? I get a lot of my inspiration from history. I'm a huge history buff, and it was my, my, uh, my study. So I love history. One of my favorite um, characters from history was, uh, it was uh, Genghis Khan. And actually, I did a, um, an orc uprising in one of my game, my game world. Basically, this one orc was gathering thousands of clans into this gigantic army. Now, theoretically, he's the villain. But his thing was also that the orcs, in this particular sense, were divided and kept down and basically was fighting each other rather than uniting and creating their own kingdom. So he's a villain, yes. Does he, you know, do you necessarily disagree with him? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, interesting. Let's Should dig into... Oh, go ahead. I mean, certainly if you're standing in his way, he's definitely a villain. Well, let's dig into the mindset of these uh, characters, our adversarial characters. Uh, Michelle, we can start with you. I don't think we started with you for a bit. Do you give your villains a clear morality or philosophy? Is it necessarily an evil bent? Or can you make a strong villain that is simply self-interested? Well, I think everyone's going to pretty well expect what my answer is. Um, I think that one of the things that characterizes human beings most than anything, more than anything else, generally speaking, is inconsistency. Um, it's very rare that, a per, that any being was going to be consistently one thing or another. A lot of times, even there, unless the, the, the exception I give sometimes is, say, for example, you're a cleric of, an, of a god of some sort, then your ethos will tend in general to align with that more supernaturally. But in general, people change their mind. They can, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times, I think to me, what makes a villain more often than anything else is a fanatic, someone who's convinced, so convinced that they're right, that they're willing to do anything to uh, to bring out that particular that particular end. Those are very, make for very frightening villains. But overall, I give them a psychology, and um, sometimes it even changes. But um, it's, a lot of it is a complex because it depends on the game as well. There are some games that lend themselves more to a clear philosophy and then there's some games that really don't. About you, Jeff, do your villains tend to have a clear moral philosophy or philosophy? Um, sometimes. So so this is like there's a, I think there's quite a few questions about like giving making your villains empathetic, uh, or like should you do it and like to what extent uh, and like whether you should make them like cartoonishly evil. Uh, and I think these are all kind of like tied into the same question, so I'll try and answer all of it. Um, there's sure. a really, 
there's there's like a really good trope talk I watched uh, where they talk about like the difference between pure villains and complex villains. Uh, whereas basically, you can have a villain who's like cartoonishly evil, um, and that's actually like can be fine. And especially in the case of things like D and D, it actually can be a lot of fun for players because uh, usually, like, what defines pure villains is that they you can't really reason with them. Like, they don't really have like any backstory, or their backstory is simple, or they don't even care about it anymore. Uh, their motives are like really simple and personal, and they like they basically they have really high enthusiasm and they want to be evil. Like, this is like like this is fun to them, and you can't really dissuade them out of it uh, because this is just like. This is their choice. It's not like they're doing this to make the world a better place. Like they, they just, they're just psychos. Like the Joker is a good example of this. Um, and then you can have complex villains who are like, they are doing evil things because they're trying to like fix a, a wrong in the world, right? Like they, this is like they don't want to do evil things, but they feel like they have to. Uh, it's like the end justifies the means kind of thing. Uh, and I often see like advice for DMs uh, to to do the latter, which is like make really interesting villains that have like really like humanized backstories. And I was like, don't do that. But I think if you're going to do those, you kind of have to prime it in your world a bit. Like, you have to show that your world is, like, complex and morally gray. Because uh, I think the worst thing that's ever happened in campaigns for me, uh, and, like, I've had this as the DM and the player, is when your PCs really hate someone, and they're, like, they finally, like, storm their castle, and they're, like, we're going to kill this guy. And then you, like, pull out this, like, sob story for the villain and try and, like, they're, like, yeah, they had a realistic motivation all along. That really sucks as a person because it's kind of like a last minute, like, oh, yeah, you were the baddies all along thing. And if your group's not into that, if they're just like, hey, we thought this was just like fantasy adventure time, it really sucks for them. Um, so I basically, I'm, I use complex films sometimes, but if I do, like, you really have to set up the world to be like, this is a morally great place so that people kind of see it coming. Um, but I was going to say, like, there's nothing wrong with us having evil villains. It can be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if you'd agree with this statement, but it almost sounds like if your character's if the characters are not super complex, which is fine, right? Like it can be really fun to run an archetypal character that can make it more challenging perhaps to have a villain with complex motivations, unless the players are able to be reflective about what's going on. Yeah. Is that part just, of what you're saying? Yeah. And also just like, you know, your players and, and know your audience, like you can make villains with a super great backstory, but like there are some players that just, they won't care. <laughs> uh, like even like if you try and prompt them to discover like all the tragic things that led to this person being this way, some people will be like, we're just going to kill them anyway. Um, and if that's the kind of group you're working with, like it, it might not be the best thing because basically you're just making them feel guilty for being the big heroes and like stopping the bad guy, which is, that's not really fun if you're the player and you're in that situation. Cause up to this point, you've been led to believe that like they need to be stopped. And then at the end, it's kind of like pulling mm. the rug. Um, right. So, I see. It's not fair. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like some people are really into that. So if they're, if they're down for that kind of like complicated game, then that's great. You have an awesome group. Um, but just be, just be warned. It can be kind of shitty on the player side sometimes. Mark, what about you? Do you give your villains a clear uh, moral uh, stance or a clear philosophical stance? I, I tend to come up with a decent background, even if it's only a couple of paragraphs. Um, well, most NPCs in general, just just so I know what they're about. But I, I got to tell you, I think Jeff stole three words from the tip of my tongue as he was just finishing there. He said, know your audience. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in a long campaign. I have room for a lot of stuff usually. And so I have the luxury of having, you know, a really deep... Uh, mostly evil guy, but with a reasonable motivation. And then we have another, you know, the next villain might be somebody gray and complex and, 
you know, not necessarily evil, just aligned against your goals. And then maybe later as a palate cleanser, we might have one guy who's, uh, you know, cartoonishly evil as a short respite uh, because, the you know, the guys just want to go and bash something for, for a while before getting back to really deep, nuanced pursuits of having to solve problems and, and get places. So, you know, we do different things then, but if you sit down for a short adventure, um, yeah, you should know your audience and, and know what you're headed for because you you haven't got time for what I just described that I do in a long campaign. You, you only have so many bricks to go down the road before, before you know, you're done a short adventure. So okay. in short, I give a lot of NPCs background, um, but it all comes down to what did you all come for? Yeah, I'd also say, just to chime in quickly, um, I hinted at this would be red herring question, but it can be really fun if you're playing a larger campaign to do one of each. So, like, have your kind of cartoonish evil villain, but then also have your, like, more complex uh, empathetic villain working with them and play them off each other. Because uh, it can be really fun to see, like, how they interact. Uh, and, if, and if you're hoping, like, your complex villain, if you want your players to care about them and you want them to, like, turn them good in the end and, like, have, like, a redemption arc, Putting them next to like a cartoon scene villain is a really good way to get players to empathize with them. In, in yeah, fact, I mean... and what we were talking about before with having one party member turn against the other, the way I often describe setting up some of these conflicts, and it's sometimes in that way, it's the conflict that generates the adversary, not the other way around. I'll I describe it as I'll sow seeds for things, but they don't have to happen. I'll set up something which could, you know, cause a conflict between this and some other group or something like that but it all depends on how it plays out and you're even like this discussion's even making me ask questions about like the connotations i have with words like relatable and empathetic because i can imagine like understanding a villain's motivations but like still wanting to stop that villain like you know that there could be a complexity and a richness in the storytelling but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily not going to go after the villain it just adds that complexity to the storytelling. Uh, Michelle, did you feel like you got a chance to weigh in on the uh, possibility of cartoonishly outlandish villains? Well, in your, with your reputation for realism. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Again, it really depends. I, I will agree with everyone else. It, will, it really depends on the type of game you're playing, and almost entirely, um, and and your audience. Like, like typically, the people that play with me tend to know what they're getting and they tend to be somewhat a more mature audience but that's not always the truth but again it has to do with like for example if i'm playing a game a one shot i don't know if anybody's ever played my uh, call of cthulhu one shot but yeah the villains are they're pretty they're pretty bad they're called cthulhu creatures that are if not basically evil yeah they're, they're bad at best and evil at most or at usual um if you're playing like teenagers from outer space or paranoia, you're not going to really have a deep, complex villain in that particular campaign. Those are more like what I used to call beer and pretzel games, uh, and they're certainly fun in their in that genre. It really depends on what genre you're playing. Um, I personally prefer more complex villains. I prefer more complex uh, um, situations, but. You know, it's not always a, it's not a, an all or nothing kind of thing. Bring up a good point too that there might be a difference between an ongoing campaign where you develop a relationship with the players, 
so that you're able to, you know, suss out what they might be interested in do and versus a one shot where, you know, it needs to be self-contained. Yeah. If I'm running a Call of Cthulhu one shot, do not try to understand a villain. I don't think in any Cthulhu game I want to understand the villain because that just might be poor for my mental health. <laughs> it's actually very bad, yes. Especially those. When you all are crafting villains, um, do you normally go with a solitary villain uh, or do you incorporate cabals or alliances? Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about whether or not there should always be one big bad, but when you're crafting your adversaries, do you ever have a group adversary? Uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you this time? Sure. Yeah, I think hmm, I think it depends. I so I usually start from like the goal, which is like what do the what do the players want, uh, and then like okay, well, what who would want the exact opposite event? Uh, and sometimes it's a group, and sometimes it's a person. Um, like the, the current campaign I'm running in Delta Green is like the like the the central villain is is like a cult. Uh, so there's a group of them, and I and I actually find it kind of really fun because like I got to do a little like okay, who is in this cult and like why were they recruited and like, what did they add to it? Which is kind of fun. Uh, and they all kind of have like slightly different motivations and they kind of play off for each other. Uh, so like the primary way that the party gets information is by like using, like using their motivations to turn the cultists against each other to get more information about what's actually going on, which has been really fun. Um, so I'd say like, you can do both. It just, whatever makes the most sense. I think running a like group in Cabal, if you want to make it like layered or complex, is a lot more work. Um, but you can also just like doing a person of henchman is also just fun. So yeah, either or. What about you, Mark? Uh, I do like cabals. I use that in the latest long, uh, adventure that we just finished. And one of the reasons I like it is it, it gives me a chance to put together an, an epic army to oppose the PCs, but it also allows for some fun for how some of those groups might move around and align or not align with each other and align with or against the PCs. And it gives them a chance to make moves to try and put a wedge between different groups as another way of accomplishing something rather than just murdering everything in a room. Uh, so I, it, it I don't know. It's another another tool in the box for storytelling, I think. So you use both uh, as appropriate. What about you, Michelle? You know, I like, I, again, I like both. It really depends on the circumstance. Um, I've done, you know, a lot of uh, wacky different ones over the last 40 years or so. So um, and sometimes it's, again, a cult is a great example of that. They're united by an ideology. Uh, they're even if their leader is killed, they might not necessarily relinquish their. Uh, um, it's a little bit like also like cells, you know, like like groups that are cells that are basically they're all united by an ideology, but they don't really have a leader. I think it'd be really cool to have a, um, a hive mind as a as a villain. I don't think I've ever done that, but that would be cool. Sort of occurred to me as a fun idea, or a single villain, but his name is Cabal. Which <laughs> is really confusing. <laughs> Great. Yeah. We work. This is. We follow the. Yeah. The great and evil cabal. Maybe we should have a whole seminar on incorporating puns into your uh, gaming sessions. I could just run that one on my own. 
Um, I want to spend our last 10 minutes or so talking about um, some concrete strategies that you think could help new GMs as they're starting to craft their own villains. Uh, I'll just open it up with that question. Uh, and Michelle, it's been a while, I think, since we started with you. What are a couple tips that you would give to new GMs who are coming up with their first villains slash adversaries? I'm going to say the same thing as I say when creating a world or anything else. Start simple. Um, I mean, if you're going to start a game, you usually don't start it at, if you're talking about like D&D, &D, you're not going to start at 20th level. So make it local. Uh, make it simple. Um, you know, you can craft more interesting, you know, um, motivation if you want. But really start, start with, you know, like I always say, like uh, if you're creating a village, start with one house. If you're creating a an evil background, just start with one person or always keep it simple to add start. You know, make right. it, and, and also make it more organic. Like start him as personally. Again, it depends on the game. Like if you're running TFOS and teams from outer space or Call of Cthulhu, they're monsters, no big deal. But if you're playing where they're actually people, make them people. Make a make a person. And then, you know, make him an antagonist. But, you know, one step at a time. Yeah, that's awesome. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I, I'll reiterate like a lot of stuff we've been talking about the past hour because a lot of these things are things that took me a really long time to learn. Um, and it's, I guess, my two big things is like, make sure that your villain is, is going to be fun for your players um, and make sure that, that they are in direct opposition to what your players want. I think those are like the, the two biggest things. So like, Part of this is having like a good session zero and just like knowing who your players are and like what they want to do in the game and then make sure your villain is like in exact opposition to doing that. Because I think for the longest time for me as a DM, I would come up with like these really interesting like people who I try and make antagonists, but the promise players just don't care. Because uh, I think as some of the questions were here, it's like, like they didn't have a reason to engage with them, um, right? So they never actually like cared about this really interesting antagonist I've made. So I think, yeah, make sure they're fun and make sure they're an antagonist first. Like, make sure they are really opposing whatever it is your players want to do because it will force them to encounter them. Um, and if they're, if your players decide to do something different, then, like, pivot your villain or make a new one. Like, like villains are cheap. Like, you, like, like any NPC, like, you can create new ones on the fly as you need. Um, but yeah, I think those are my big ones. Just, like, make sure there's something your players will enjoy and make sure whatever they want, it is exactly opposite of what your players want. So we've got Start Simple. Think about the experience your players want and um, make sure that the adversary is uh, doing the, uh, has the opposite goals as the party. Yeah, make sure adversarial. About... <laughs> adversarial, not necessarily villainous. Okay, what, Mark, what about you? Um, I, for me to add something new to what we've been saying... I'll reflect on what I have done in the last couple of years uh, more than before that I found useful. Adversaries are just some of the NPCs in your world. How do you make good NPCs? One of the things that I learned from storytelling is that a lot of stuff is made up, uh, a lot of the substance of the story is made up of relationships between characters. And for the relationships to come out of things, you first need a clearly defined character. And to kind of extend what Jeff was just talking about when he said, consider what the, what the adversary wants. 
a three-dimensional character is created out of what do they want versus what do they need? Because the interesting things that come out of a character on stage or in a story or in a game comes from that little sliver of difference between what what they want, what they what they think they need, and what they truly need, what is going to fulfill them. Because when they make that mistake and say, well, and I'm going to fulfill my needs by stealing whatever precious thing, and that want conflicts with the players, or sorry, the PC's wants, now you've generated a conflict. And you've also generated more interesting potential for how the conflict can be re resolved other than potentially just bashing somebody over the head. Um, but also when you understand, when, when you've kind of sketched a character out like that, that, that clearly, then when it comes time to, well, how does this NPC relate to this other NPC or this new PC um, or this new event has happened that I didn't uh, expect that the, the, you know, the players caused, well, how is this NPC going to react to that? Well, if you have a really well-defined character, it won't be a stretch. It'll be fairly obvious. And that's, that's why I, I will continue to say this. Well-defined characters make your job easier as a GM. It makes it much easier to figure out what the heck will they do? What comes next? When you make what comes next easier, your whole life as a GM becomes easier. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so there, I've only got a couple questions left. Uh, so if anyone out there in the audience has more questions, please go ahead and put them in the GM questions chat. So Mark, I, I think I know what you might say to the answer to this next question based on <laughs> what you just said. But let's imagine that our new GM has done all of the wonderful, uh, used all the wonderful strategies that the three of you have given them. But the characters are still just, they are going in the opposite direction. So what do you do when the party just ignores the adversaries? You make it clear that danger and adventure is west and they go east. Do you think that um, problem will just resolve itself if, if people do have like really rich and interesting uh, NPCs that do like pivot and have interests that are counter to the parties or do you still like have strategies about like what to do when the players are really just going in a different direction there there are at least two different roads i can think of and why you would choose one over the other really comes down to why did you why did you all sit down to play together my personal choice tends to be well okay if that's the way i i tend to play open world so wherever you go I'm going to start working at, you know, the event horizon as far as I can out beyond you. So I'm fairly well prepared. But if you walk away from the adversary that I have, uh, you know, or, or a storyline that I'm prepared to do, I will start writing up and preparing others. But there's a lot of wheels in this world. And those wheels continue to turn even when you're not in the room. So when you come back to town you may find things look a whole lot different. And these are all consequences of the choices you made. Now, having said that, that's the way I like to play a game. But I'm not going to judge somebody else for saying, well, I need to nudge the players back to where, where we want to go because we've planned to play it for you know eh, about eight sessions and then we're going to switch to somebody else DMing. 
you know, there can be all kinds of reasons why you might do that that I wouldn't judge somebody for. It comes down to why you all came to play. And every DM has their way of telling stories and bringing entertainment to the table. So that kind of goes into the mix too. So for what do I tell new, new GMs? Know your audience, just like Jeff said. Know your audience. And you are one of the people who sat down at the table, so you're part of the audience too. But when you sit down with three other players, there's four of you at the table, why did you come? And when you all get up from the table every session, are you finding that you got what you came for? You, you got to get to know that. And that's, as, that's some of that you can't just get from somebody else telling, well, you should do this. But you can get it from some people, as we do in this panel, explaining, well, when you do it this way, this is the kind of thing you get, or this is one of the reasons you do it. That's probably the best I could offer. There's not always pat answers for it. That's yeah. right. We've got, um, oh, I, we've got two new questions that have come in that I think will be pretty fun. So I'm going to go ahead and ask them. But if you have something else to add on that question we were just uh, having, we can, uh, maybe we can keep talking after we're officially over or put it in the chat. I think this will give you guys a chance to shine uh, or your players to shine. Have you ever had a group deal with a villain in an unexpected way, such as trying to redeem them? So as DMs, has there been like a really fun moment from your experience where your players uh, took out a villain in a way that you found to be very creative and unexpected? You want to go first? Yeah, do you, do you have an example, Michelle? Go ahead. I think my, uh, a lot of my players, well, certainly some of my players deal with uh, villains in almost always an expected win. So, um, the, um, one of my favorites was, um, this is actually almost combining the last, the second question as well. And I see here, I had a evil, an evil campaign, uh, an evil, an evil, basically the players were evil and they were fairly low level. I mean, they were like third level. And I guess one of the, uh, main adversaries was a paladin who was considerably higher level than them. And uh, at one point, they stole essentially a, a holy sword and just really, really made him mad. And he came at him, and he was going to kill them. And then as he's charging literally on one of the characters, he just stood there holding the sword and said, are you worthy? And he just stopped because that's an odd thing to say. And they convinced them that they were literally doing this because it was a quest for him to gain the holy sword. Amazing. I love that example. I mean, it's, a it... great, it's a great way. Like I said, I've, I've had, um, um, and again, this is another one, same thing, sort of. Well, yeah. hold up. Let's, uh, I'm just going to go to Jeff because we're ahead. running out of time. Um, yeah, so yeah, what sure am, my, everyone. One of my favorite ones, it was, it was not even a major antagonist, but it was more of a rival. Um, party was going to enter a fighting tournament, uh, and there was this there was a guy um, who who was like really talking them up before before they entered the tournament, and they like had really, like this really intense rivalry. And this guy was really well known as being like an amazing fighter. Uh, over the course of the tournament, the the party found out that like he was cheating. He was like taking illicit, basically steroid potions. Um, and the but like the way they resolved it was I can't get over it. Where basically our two bards disguised themselves as one of the fighters in the ring and one of the stipulations of the tournament was you couldn't use magic and what they did is they used like minor illusion um 
to maybe not maybe not press a digitation, one of the two, uh, to basically look make it look like the other guy was using magic. So they like out cheated him at a game he was already cheating at uh, and got him disqualified. And it was like the best thing ever because the villain was so mad because he was like he was so excited to just like face them in combat and like prove how much he could kill them. And they like disqualified him. So they like out cheated the guy who was cheating. It was the most hilarious thing I've seen. Uh, I loved it. Amazing. Mark, what about you? I don't know if I can top either of those. I mean, the last time the players came up with a, a rather unexpected twist was in a rather large fight with a lot of different NPCs, but there were two clerics that had uh, death magic bouncing off between them, which was really supposed to be something that should have resolved itself in like a round or two, but it ended up bouncing back and forth between them. And at one point, one of the characters just dispelled magic on the magic item that the priestess was holding which meant she couldn't reflect it back anymore, and she was toast. It doesn't really compare to... I think I really like Michelle, so it was pretty good. It's, uh, you know, I think that proves the lesson that you all have been imparting to us, that if you have these really rich, uh, interesting bad guys, the players will come up with really rich and interesting ways uh, to try to defeat them. So that's, that's really great. Um, I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question um, in the GM questions, uh, but we can continue the conversation in the chat. Thank you so much, Michelle and Jeff and Mark, for coming on and talking to us about villains. This has been really outstanding. Thanks so much. Great. Glad to do it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, fun. yeah I'm sure that there are announcements I should be making. Uh, we have Book Club that meets the third Tuesday of the month. We're reading um, The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. And uh, if there are other announcements, I'm sorry I've forgotten them, but check the announcements tab. You can find all of them there. Okay, thanks so much for coming, everybody. <laughs>